Our text this morning is from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. You can find this on page 1023 in the Bibles that are under the chairs in front of you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ryan. You all can be seated. My name's Ransom Kent, the pastor here, and I'm really glad you all have joined us this morning uh, for worship, whether online or here in person. <clears throat> One thing is apparent, uh, as I've been studying 1 John and as we've been studying it together, is John loves love. This guy loves his love, and he loves it a lot. He loves love. Uh, we say love, let's see if we can hit 100 times saying love this morning. Um, here's some recapping of the times that John has talked about love in 1 John. 1 John 2.10, he's talking about walking in the light. Okay, it's the subject that he's talking about. And what does he say? What's the, what is the proof that we are in the light, that God has brought us into the light? The proof is that we will love our brothers and sisters in the church. So those in the light will love the others who are in the light. A chapter later, 1 John 3.10, he's talking about how we have been made the children of God. How do we know we're a child of God? He says, guess what? You'll know you're a child of God because you will love the other children. You'll love your brothers and your sisters. Just a few verses later, 1 John 3, 14, he's talking about regeneration, regeneration. So uh, coming from spiritual death to spiritual life. How do you know that you've been regenerated? I'll give you one guess. <laughs> love the brothers and the sisters. So what we're seeing from John is that the love of our fellow brothers and sisters in the church, it's a fundamental fruit, a fundamental fruit of being saved. We do not get saved by loving our brothers and our sisters. We don't get saved by that. We are saved by Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives it freely, graciously, and we are secure in it because there's nothing we've done to receive it. Uh, David Benner, uh, he wrote the book uh, Surrender to Love. He says it this way, if conversion is authentic, we're in the process of becoming more loving. Do you see how those two things are related? Love is not the thing that brings salvation. Love of our brothers and sisters, love comes from us because we are in God. He says, he goes on to say that we're moving from me to we kind of thinking, you see? And so it's, it's, we, we tend to think more about ourselves and that selfish, dead spirituality. But as we come to God, as God draws us in, we become more about we. And so here in 1 John 4, John's back at it again. He loves to talk about love. 
And so what he's talking about here is where true love comes from. Now, what's interesting is last week we talked about truth, where truth is. It has a source. This week we're talking about love, what love is. It has a source. And what struck me this week as I was studying is that both of these topics, truth and love, are both topics that the world claims to have a corner on. They believe, they say that they know where truth is from and exactly what it looks like. They say and they believe that they know exactly what love looks like and exactly how it comes to pass. But what we're learning from 1 John is that these two topics have been co-opted by the world from God. They belong to God. Truth belongs to God. Why? Because God is truth. Love belongs to God. Why? Because God is love. And so today, we're going to be learning a new definition for love. Last week, we again, truth has a source. It's Jesus, Jesus in the flesh. Today, we're going to learn that love has a source. It's God. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. We learn that we love for a reason. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. You can see this idea of conversion, uh, authentic conversion, begetting love. That's what you can see in those verses. Then hear this, because God is love. Why do we love? Not because it's natural to us. We don't love because it's such a cool thing or it's a good thing. We don't love because it makes our life more comfortable. We love because God is love. And we can only know true love and only truly know love in God because God is love. And so God, through John, defines love for us. And what's great about 1 John 4 is we're going to see that his definition of love transcends conditions, scenarios, situations, God is not a hypocrite. God didn't just give us a verbal definition of love. He came and he actually demonstrated it perfectly to us and he gave it to us. And so with that receipt of God's love come some challenges. First, we're going to have to reorient our definition of love. We all are a little skewed, at least a little bit. But also there's a call in our lives uh, from the receipt of God's divine love to love one another. And so as we're going to look at this morning in this passage, allow me to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the rest of the passage. Father, this morning I pray that you would encourage our hearts, mine included. We need the truth of your love. We need a deep understanding of who you are and how you are essentially love. Lord, we also are going to be challenged this morning. Your love and its reality, its truth, causes us to be obligated to something. It's not an obligation that's draining. It's an obligation that pours out of knowing you and being in relationship with you. But Lord, it does call us in this word, this scripture, to change. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be with me this morning as I try to relay these truths to these wonderful people that they would not be skewed or muddied or obscured by me. Lord, talk directly to our hearts through your Holy Spirit this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we look at this passage, 
it's almost as if John's answering a question, as if someone has asked him, how do I know God loves me? How do I know? Does God really love me? And he, he goes right into verse 9 with, yes, there is proof of God's love for you. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This word manifest means clearly revealed to our physical senses. So what he's saying is God does not love us ambiguously. God doesn't love us and like hide it from us. He has done the very thing that portrays and communicates the full uh, power of his love for us. So the question then is, does God even love me? The answer is always yes. If we're in Christ, the answer is always yes. And there is a sign. As John, as, excuse me, as Paul calls it, the sign and the wisdom of God's love, it, you look at the rest of verse 9. So in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made clear that God sent his only son into the world. You want a sign of God's love? He became flesh and came into the world. It was made manifest in that way. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son. This is the, the, the proof the unquestionable connection between God's love for us is Jesus Christ. Now, my nerd pastor brain got really excited at this point as I was studying because I want us to rewind to last week. Where does true truth come from? Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now what are we learning? Where does true love come from? Jesus Christ in the flesh. So Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is the definition of true love. What a phrase we throw around these days. Mitchell just gave me a, oh, right? He's a nerd too, apparently. Um, or he's making fun of me. I'll just choose to think that he's a nerd. Um, what is true love? What is true love? True love is that Jesus Christ came to earth. That's the definition. Love that affirms that Jesus is God is true love that Jesus is God and that he came in the flesh. And no other love is more true than God participating in that activity, initiating that activity. And so we can draw this concept, the perfect demonstration of truth and love mingled together is God sending Jesus to earth. So God acting, God approaching, God becoming flesh, it's true love. The application of this in our lives is that every other love, every love that we have experienced, even the sweetest ones, are nothing more than a reflection. At best, they're a reflection. They're probably more like a shadow. All loves that we experience at best are a shadow and a reflection of God's true love. And so at the risk of being somewhat controversial, when the world says love is love, when the world says love is love, what can we know? That we have been revealed what true love is. Maybe parts of love that we experience here on, here on earth, they might be similar to true love. They might be adjacent to love, but no love other than God sending Jesus and what that means for us is true love. And so again, we talked about truth last week. We're talking about love this week. We're exposed to the truth of what love is and what are we called to do? We're called to speak into this. Should we turn our noses up at the world when they have a misunderstanding of love? No, we're called to speak into it. Remember, Christ transforms culture. We shouldn't just ignore it or say, oh my goodness, what fools. No, call in. You're called to speak in to those mistakes, those mistaken de declarations 
of partial truths. And so why would we begin to do that? I, th I think it is summed up in the end of verse 9. So in this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent his son, but he sent him for a purpose that we might have, we might live through him. This idea of living through him is the big concept of regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration is a powerful event in the life of a believer. John calls it being born again. Paul refers to it as the new creation. But here's the idea. God, the son, stooping low, entering his broken creation, he did that for a purpose, to recreate life, true life, spiritual life. And so as we read the Gospels, we see Jesus healing people or multiplying food or calming the storm or any of these things we see him doing. It's not actually uh, supernatural. He's bringing back the way things were intended to be. He's recreating the world the way God originally had intended. And so this purpose that Jesus Christ came is not for us to separate ourselves from the world, but to have an under, a full, clear understanding of God's love for us and speak that in to others' lives. John's not done. It gets better. Verse 10. In this is love, he says. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. We'll stop there. This is great news. This is great news for us. The good news here is that love is not measured in our love of God. Do you hear this? We tend to think, man, if I could just love God more, if my love for God is so insufficient, you're right, <laughs> it is. But in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So we don't have to settle for this pitiful definition of love that, that would be the definition if love depended on our love of God. We've got to be to number 50 by now with the word love. But without provocation, without good reason, what did God do? Because he is love and can't help but be love, he loved us truly. He loved us truly. Without us deserving it, without us earning it, he sent Jesus Christ in our sin. That was the reality. We were broken rebels, his enemies, and he sent Jesus anyway. Why? To show us up? No, to love us. To love us. And so that is the measurement of love, God's love for us. And so in Christ, church, we have to hear this. this, this these kinds of truths are life-changing for the Christian. In Christ, God's love for me, God's love for you, never wanes. It never changes. It never decreases. It's never ending. There's serious implications here. Serious implications for our lives. We cannot undo the true love of God. If you think from it, a historical sense, it already happened. <laughs> we can't go back and undo it. We don't have a time machine to stop the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God did it for us. It's done. We can't cancel it out. There's no amount of sin that we can commit where Jesus is like, well, now it doesn't count. We're over, over the, the amount that I died for. We can't lose it in the fray of life. And so think about this. Even when it feels like God isn't there, even when it feels like God's love 
is being held back. Even when it feels like we are far from God, we can know with our minds and our hearts that because of what God has done, his love is secure on us. It never changes. He never sees us differently. He never treats us differently. We're always welcome, always loved in Jesus Christ. And so God loved first because he is love and because we cannot love him on our own. That's the reality. We can't do it. Even here this morning, as we sit and stand and sit and stand, and then we worship and we sing and we pray, we are not able to perfectly worship God. We can't do it. Every single one of us in here has failed worship. Failed worship. But God loves us. And the love that in the worship that we have is not defined by what we give, it's by what he's done. So God is love. He sent his son. He loved first. Then we get to this big, important word, propitiation. Good job, Ryan, reading that. You nailed it. Um, verse 10, the end of verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. L. L. Morris defines it this way. Propitiation is a reminder that God is relentlessly opposed to everything that is evil and that his opposition may properly be described as wrath and that this wrath is put away only by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. As Reformed people, this is a Reformed church, uh, one of the not-so-pleasant things for humans is that we can't talk about the love of God, the sacrifice of Christ, without talking about the thing that came before that, just after creation, the wrath of God. God hates evil. You see, God created the world as a medium, a place where we could meet him and be in perfect relationship. And in our sin, we rejected it. We broke it. And so sin, at this point, it's a separating circumstance. We can't just sweep it under the rug and God say, don't worry about it. He's pure, he's holy, he can't be around it. And for him to have what he designed to have, sin must be obliterated. It must be dealt with. And either we deal with that ourselves because it's on us or something else had to happen. And what was that something else? Jesus Christ taking our sin completely and wholly and taking God's wrath completely and wholly on himself. That's what the word propitiation means. So in this is love, not that he just sent Jesus, not that he just sent him to be a good teacher that we might have these teachings and live through his teachings. No, the only way to live was through his decimation, through his destruction, the propitiation of our sins. I, I don't know when I came across this, but I highlighted this verse in my Bible, Psalm 49 Listen to the psalmist's realization. Uh, it's almost a hopeless statement for him, but for us, there's great hope in it. Listen to this. Psalm 49, 7 through 9. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Do you hear what he's saying? I can't save myself. No one can save me. But here, what do we know through Jesus Christ? That he, he wasn't a mere man. He was the God-man. And the God-man, what? Came in the flesh and he died for our sins. And what happened because of it? He paid the ransom. He paid the ransom. He paid the price 
of our lives. And in Christ alone, here's the great news, we can live forever and never see the pit. Amen. Now, I understand that just by me speaking these truths, a part of their wonderfulness is lost, okay? I know that anytime a human tries to express godly truths, there's always some kind of damper on it. And so we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to show us, church, how glorious these truths are because these are the best things we could ever hear in the world, in our lives. God sent his son with no reason to do it. God loved first. We didn't activate his love with our faith. No, his love activated our faith. It's the exact opposite of that. God personally paid the price of what we owed him. I mean, these are truths that are foundational. These are truths that are too great to even imagine. We just finished up Gentle and Lowly this week in Sunday school. This is from Dane Ortland in his book. Uh, he says, for God to cease to love his own, God would need to cease to exist. Because do God does not simply have love, he is love. In the death of Christ for us sinners, God intends to put his love for us beyond question. What is true love? True love is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for wretched sinners like us. John finishes this paragraph with some implications of God's love and our love uh, responding to that and a beautiful challenge. So we look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That word ought, there's no way around it. It means obligated, okay? It means obligated. We ought to. We're obligated because of the love God freely gave to us we have an obligation to love one another. Because he loved first, because he loved sacrificially, because he loved unconditionally, because he loved despite our sin, we are called to love not only generically, but in that way specifically. But there's freedom here. Listen, this shouldn't be a drudgery. Oh my goodness. Maybe it is sometimes. It shouldn't be. It isn't. Because why? We have everything we could possibly need in the love of God for us. We don't have to wait for people to be sorry. We don't have to wait for people to, to change. We don't have to look to other people to meet our needs. God loves us all the way perfectly. We have everything we need in God. And so this true love that God has manifested for us, it's real, it's tangible, and it's freedom. And I love how he closes up this, this particular section. You have to think about it this way. John, this guy who lived physically with Jesus Christ, he has a special thing to say about us loving one another. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us, Basically what John is saying, listen, in this world, in this life, the closest thing to being in the presence of God on earth is the church of Jesus Christ loving one another in this way. As we love one another, you and I, in this place, in this 
collection of people, broken people, as we love one another, that is the, the closest thing we can get to God's love being perfected here on earth. Warren Wearsby, I think, sums it up this way very well. If we abide in Christ, we will love one another, and our love for one another will reveal God's love to a needy world. And so, Grace, to me, this is a convicting challenge. Church if we're really honest, can feel like a demolition derby sometimes. It can feel that way. It can feel that way. Side swipe, side swipe, side swipe. But here's the reality. If we soak ourselves individually in the love of God, we read his word, we see his promises, we see what he's done, we look at the manifestation of what he has done, we listen to him speak to us in the present tense through his word, and we pray that God will reveal more and more that how he loves us, that we would love like him, that we would see that we are saved by his love, sanctified by his love, that we're sustained by God's love. If we spend that much time with God's love, we, won't, we can't help but emanate it and share it with others around us. This love for one another that pours from God's love for us is a taste of the truest love there is. And I believe I believe, as the Bible teaches, that as we love each other in that way, it'll spill over into the world. So a place where they have such a deep misunderstanding of love, they will see the true thing through us, realizing God's love for us and us loving one another. As we approach the Lord's table today, I want us to think about something. It's adjacent to what we've just been hearing from John. Um, We approach the Lord's table in unity. As we walk the aisle and take a little piece of bread and take a little cup of whatever you choose, we're saying something with our feet and with our actions. We're saying that together we are broken. In unity, we are guilty. <laughs> That's what we're saying. We're saying, I'm guilty. And we're coming forward to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. We're saying, I'm not so special it's not about me, it's about Jesus and what he has done. And so this morning, we don't normally uh, bring this up at the Lord's Supper, but it's something that is good to do so once in a while. And I'm not thinking of anything specific, but all of us in our lives, because we are broken, because we are unified in our sin, we have all in some way and sometime in our lives wronged someone. We've wronged someone. And, and the Lord's Supper at times can be a good time to think about Okay, Lord, show me who I have wronged. Show me who I have wronged. Show me where I have sinned. And, and the, the Bible says, when we know that that is true, we are, we are to go and, and make amends. And so this morning, the Lord is encouraging all of us, those of us who have done wrong, he's saying, make it right. And how can we have the courage to do that? God loves you perfectly. And those who have been wronged, God says, forgive. How could I possibly forgive, Ransom? God loves you perfectly. We have what we need from him. And so this morning, come. If you're in one of those camps, come, eat the bread. Remember what Jesus did for the thing that you did. Drink the wine. Drink the juice. Remember the thing that, that Jesus did for the thing that was done to you. Receive that grace on both sides of that sin and worship God 
for it. And so my prayer is that the grace of God would empower all of us, specifically here at Grace Church, that we'd be empowered to be reconcilers with one another. May the love of God flow freely from my mouth as I mix up those words, but amongst us, the only way we can love each other in this way is to know and experience and believe the love of God for us. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. When we come, we, we see the broken body, we see the shed blood. And so to come this morning, who should come? Only those who come saying, I have sinned. And I need Jesus and Jesus alone to be forgiven, to be saved from that sin. Those who have been baptized, you've made that public profession, you're called to come and be renewed by God's grace, remembering what he has done for us, how he has manifested his love in Jesus Christ. Those who are here this morning, if you do not believe these things to be true or if you have a sin in your life that you refuse to repent of, the Lord says it's not the time. It's not the time. It doesn't make sense for you to come. And so we would ask that you do not participate. Let us just take a moment and pray quietly, asking the Lord to reveal to us what kind of grace we need this morning. Father in heaven, before us is this table that has earthly elements on it. It has bread and it has uh, symbolic little cups of liquid with wine or juice. But um, to the eye, the mere human eye, it seems like a small meal or just a bit of food. But Lord, we know that by the power of your spirit, not physically, but spiritually, you are here with us. You're here with us. You've been with us in worship this morning. Your spirit is always with us. Your spirit lives inside of us if we are in Christ. And so this morning, we just want to praise your name for your graciousness, your mercy, your love, your true love. The symbols before us remind us that Jesus Christ, although he was completely innocent, had never sinned, never strayed from your plan or your will, had never wronged anyone, was taken to the cross and brutally murdered because of jealousy, because of misunderstanding, and most of all, because of everything that we have ever done against you and will ever do against you. He paid that price. He took the wrath. He was separated from God. So that we may have life. Life, I pray, Lord, will be defined by your love, your word, your leading, and that the next phase of our life, even just this week, would begin right here at this table. Thank you, Lord, for this great gift of the Lord's Supper, and I pray that it would be a blessed time with this church family this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.